0: Sunday, May 27th. You have some weeks left to buy tickets, so visit KPFT.org for more details and to purchase your raffle tickets for $5 each. You're listening to KPFT
1: Houston.
2: I'm mean.
4: i Quisiera ser un San Pedro y venirte a saludar con la música del cielo. Volaron cuatro palomas por todas las ciudades. Hoy por ser día de tu santo,
3: it is all of our birthdays. Happy 20th anniversary. Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say on the Air. This is an open invitation to everyone to join us tomorrow at Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say 20th anniversary showcase. How time flies. It's going to be. At 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Talento Bilingue de Houston. It's free. We have a blockbuster lineup of writers who started in the community and are now getting published nationally. And some folks are from here in our own backyard, de nuestra familia, aquí cerquitas. Other folks are from across Texas, and we've got a few of them on the air today, a few who we'll call to touch bases with. But we want everyone to come because we appreciate everything you've done, even if you've tuned in on Mistake and kept tuning in, if you passed out a flyer, if you told your nephew that his Spanglish poem was awesome, if you went to just one showcase, if you thought about it but work got in the way, or if you've been to all of them, there's a few that have been to all of them, we want to thank you for supporting Nuestra Palabra these 20 years. And just to distinguish, right now you're enjoying the radio broadcast This actually started in March 2001, which was after the live showcase was started in April of 1998, so that's even older. The radio show is still a little younger, but a big part of what we do, so we're so happy for you to join us. My name is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante founder of Nuestra Palabra, and we're surrounded by so many different folks. We got folks that are new to the familia. Hey, Marlene, thank you so much for jumping on board and helping with the radio show.
0: No problem. I'm glad to be here.
3: And Letty's one of the newest folks. That's right. Of course, you are Chicana pedigree because your familia has been deeply involved with Nuestra Palabra for many years. Yes, she has. Yes, she has. (laughs) I
5: keep hearing Lilo legacy.
3: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we are alluding to Libro Tafricante Lilo. Part of the Lilo legacy. And then, of course, we're going to have some folks calling in, but we do want to celebrate with the radio listeners. And, of course, people may think, hey, really, what's the big deal? We've made history, so I want to remind folks if you miss any radio broadcast, you can actually catch up with it at the Digital Special Archives at the University of Houston Library, which is exciting. So we've made history, we study history, and then also we've got the hard copies at the Hispanic Collection at the Houston Public Library Library Ida Edelson Building downtown. It's this beautiful wood, really classic-looking building with big old books. I hope you get to go. It's wonderful to spend an afternoon just perusing the living history, and it really is a blessing and an honor to be part of that. So thank you so much for for all the support. We want to give some highlights. We want to give a preview to what's going on tomorrow. we got a great list of writers tomorrow, including the goddess on wheels, Maria Palacios. New voice, Patricio Sanchez, who is off to the military after he reads. And he's a student from Lone Star College. He's going to be one of our Nuestro Discoveries. Because that's what we've done from the beginning, is showcase writers who are nationally published and already recognized alongside New Voices. We've never privileged one or the other. Today, we'll also be joined by Natalie Sylvester, who is launching her book, published by Mainstream Press, which is wonderful. And then we'll also be calling some old friends as well. And you are our friend too. So feel free to call in, maybe ask questions or or give us an idea of what you enjoyed the most. And I think the other the other thing too is we'll be calling folks in a little bit. So... Uh, Marlene, did you want to call folks in this segment or the second segment? Or did you want to start with Natalie?
0: I think we should start with Natalie and go from there. What do you think?
3: That sounds brilliant. Especially because she's in the studio, studio, live and in person. And she's waiting eagerly. That's fantastic. So let's start with her. And then in the second half, we're going to wind up calling our dear friend Alvaro Sarrios, Mm -hmm. who 20 years ago made his first public reading at Nuestra Palabra. Today, he is a professor. He has toured his plays throughout the country. Houston Grand Opera has paid him wow. to write material. And now he's got his own venues, and he's influenced a whole other generation of writers. And then also our dear friend Isis Fernandez, who started off on our stage, and is now also a professor, Now published as a journalist.
0: And I actually met her at a workshop she had a couple of months ago in uh, in Kingwood. Uh, I think it was last year. So.
3: Which she- is great. Exactly. And what I love too is that a lot of the writers who are now professors or nationally published are giving back as well. So we've got primos that we don't even know.
0: <laughs> and don't forget, we also have uh, Jasmine.
3: Jasmine. The wonderful Jasmine Mendez is coming. She'll be reading live tomorrow. Another wonderful writer who started off with our familia. Wound up meeting Juno Diaz at one of our awesome book fairs. Before Juno won the Pulitzer, and the Dominic, Dominicanos se reventaron después de eso. <laughs> they, kept, they kept blowing it up. But another part of our family it's wonderful to see folks go from locally published to nationally published. And I think that is huge. I do want folks to know, we do have specific accomplishments, and we also have Zen-level accomplishments. Specific accomplishments... I'm proud to say that we have inspired or directly led to more Latinos getting masters in writing than any institution I can think of. And that is a challenge. I want some other institution to say, no, you're wrong. We have more, right? And this means that some folks studied here locally, somewhat far away. You know, Alvaro Sarios, who will be writing later, got a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from Northwestern. You got Rasol Contreras, who got his Master of Fine Arts from Columbia University. Uh, Carolina Mozevalles, who's getting a PhD, uh, went elsewhere as well. So I'm proud of that because that's certain. Also, yesterday, you're going to hear some of the writers who started off our venue and wound up, wound up going further and getting books published in different levels, including uh, Leslie Contreras Schwartz. Mm-hmm. I think I mixed her name up. Leslie Schwartz Contreras. <laughs> right? And she is... Also, Chicana Legacy, because her brother was one of the founding members of Nuestra Palabra. This radio show, without Nuestra Palabra, we would not have had for 17 years this space to promote Latino writers, literature, and news that no one else covers. So that's typical sort of material that folks expect from literary nonprofits. But I also want to add to the mix that without Nuestra Palabra, we would not have become libre Traficantes to help stifle the racist un-American law that banned makes American studies in Arizona. And, of course, shouts out to the students and teachers who are in the heart of it. But I want you to understand that Arizona's anti-immigrant laws spread like wildfire. The anti-ethnic studies laws could have spread as well. But we joined this national movement to stop it, and we came back to Texas and also really nipped in the bud elements of that. And that's not exaggeration. There's specific policies that we made sure went away. Otherwise, we would have been in the same boat. And then finally started spreading Mexican-American studies along with many others. Again, this is not just us, but we're part of this intelligentsia. And of course, Houston has this cultural capital, human capital that has really pushed all these movements. So those are three Traditional sort of literary accomplishments, but then three other things as well, because I do want people to know that I would say Latinos don't have the privilege of being only poets or only writers. We've had to fight for freedom of speech, and perhaps that's something that can change down the line, but we've seen that folks actually wanted to prevent exactly what we wanted don't want to depress you too much. But on the flip side, it's exciting then that we've been able to to overcome those particular barriers altogether. So happy birthday to our dear listeners. Happy birthday to all the Nuestra Palabra folks. The the time flies, but I'm excited to talk about, we'll be talking a little bit too, what are the next steps? Because we can't really continue the same way we continue these first 20 years for many reasons. And we don't want to either. <laughs> We're actually out to to keep changing the world, but I think with you at our sides we will do that and more. So let me take a quick peek at Marlin to see if we're gonna go right to Natalie or we're gonna go to music.
5: I said go to Natal Nat Natalie. Natalia.
3: Natalia. So you're gonna write to Natalia?
6: Yes, we're gonna go to Natalia.
3: Fantastic. Thank you for coming out. Thank
6: you for having me today.
3: No, by all means, looking forward to, to your reading tomorrow.
6: Oh, I'm so excited for it. and I'm excited for everyone else that's reading. It's, it looks like an amazing event.
3: Well, and congratulations for all your success. Thank you. So you are here. Where do you live usually?
6: Austin. Austin, yeah. Texas. I have family here in Houston, though, so we go back and forth a lot.
3: That's fantastic. Yeah. So we, we love having you live here today. Thank you. Looking forward to the reading tomorrow. And congratulations on, on, your, new, on your new book. Thank you everybody knows you go home and to tell us a little bit about the book and so who's and this is a this is a new york publisher too right
6: it is um yeah they're based in new york they're called little a it's they just celebrated their 5th anniversary publishing wow um and i'm really happy to be with them actually um you know the staff is something like it it's a woman run press and think something like 60% women of color and it, like publishing stories by people of color is a huge part of their mission. And really, even for my first book, they've always been very supportive of the vision that I had for the book and of wanting, you know, supporting me and staying true to that and not having to compromise, um, you know, what I was trying to say in order to you know, make it quote unquote more appealing to what they love to say is a mainstream audience in which I love to argue, well, we're part of that mainstream too, you know? Um, so why should you write to this one perceived um, audience? It's like I've sometimes get the, um, I'm sure many of us have gotten the feedback that our work is niche, you know, or, or it needs to appeal to a wider audience. And it's like, you know, we're here and we're a part of that audience and there's no need to, um, to have to dial back who we are in order to, um, to, to, to somehow like for this idea of making it more relatable when it's like, you know, I grew up my whole life relating to people who weren't necessarily like me in every way, but I could see the ways that we were right. Growing up, I I grew up mainly in Miami. And so what was shocking to me is I didn't read a book by a Latino author until I was maybe in ninth grade. And this is growing up in Miami, right? <laughs> Surrounded by
3: <laughs> Latinos,
6: right? Yeah, and it meant so much to me because I—it was the first time I realized, oh wait a second, like we write too, and we have stories to tell too, and—and and even before that, when I'd been writing stories, uh, because I loved writing and I was doing it since I was like six, seven, six or seven years old, um, because so many of the books that I would read had mostly like white kids or kids who were native born in the u.s. and and really had one specific experience i then would tell stories similar to that even though i didn't share that experience Mm. and it's in a way it's like it was very sad to me because unknowingly i was casting aside my own truth and my own experience that i was you know growing up bicultural bilingual um you know, I wasn't reflecting that in my own work and to finally start to read that once I got to high school and college and beyond, it's, that opens up a whole new world for you. And it's, it's sad to to say that it gave me permission to do so, but I, I think in a way I, I was looking for that permission or, or even just that validation.
3: And I think what's powerful too, is that that's a lot of the reasons that Nuestra Palabra started 20 years ago, because there was that, exactly like you're saying, um, I guess to put it in simple terms, like instruction manuals, (laughs) say, hey, you know, I mean, the teachers would tell me right about what you know, but I knew that it's not supposed to be tortillas or bilingual, right? And then I would also maybe throw in, since I was turning 20, especially since you're talking about that, and I I mentioned a lot of great things, some things haven't changed.
6: Mm, Absolutely.
3: Right? And I think... Perhaps what's happened is that these mainstream institutions, I think they're suffering for many reasons, but one of them may be that they didn't tap into that audience 20 years ago when they could have really done something that would have blossomed into these other branches. Because I think, like you mentioned, all the way out there in Miami, here in Houston, there's always been a need and interest. It's just never been cultivated, and you've just described, especially with your book and and how your publishers treated you—a whole experience different than what the commercial publishing world is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so, how? Who was that first writer you read back then?
6: Uh, it was Cristina Garcia, Dang in Cuban. Yeah. And then afterwards, it was um, Eduardo Galeano, Isabel Allende, Sandro Cisneros. You know. So it was just—it was really like very eye-opening.
3: And who introduced you to that first book?
6: It was my high school English teacher. Yeah. So um, it
3: took that activist it did. who yeah. said, I, I know these books are powerful. I'm bringing them to the classroom yeah. to get it to you. Someone who was writing anyway. You were writing anyway, searching for a voice. And I, I kind of bring it up, too, because I think sometimes the narrative is either we don't care about the writing or there's not a market. But here yeah. we were. you Right. Know, Absolutely. And we want it. But it's hard to find
6: like thirsting for stories and not even realizing that you're thirsting for certain ones. It's almost like you didn't know you really really like that was sometimes you can't consciously miss what's invisible to you, so I mean until i seen it, I didn't realize it was there was such a void there
3: and and, so, and then tell us about then your literary training after that.
6: I went to the University of Miami and I started creative writing there
3: that, so your undergraduate was in it was ooh was it always prose?
6: It, it's funny. Oh, that's a really great question. It actually started as poetry. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, I had these, yeah, I really had these big dreams of becoming a poet. And, um, I had a, a really wonderful, I, I took like an elective in, in fiction and I had just such an amazing teacher and really a lot of the works that we read. It, it I remember feeling like when I would turn the last page of a novel, I wanted to stay with those characters and I missed them and I wanted to stay in that world. And I just remember one day feeling like, you know what? I want to do that too. Mm. And so at that point I switched to, um, the fiction track and then all along I was actually also a journalism minor. And so I thought, Very cool, yeah. And it's funny cause I thought like this will be the most school is this university of Miami. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was really great. I mean, it, you really get to see that interaction between fact and fiction, the ways that sometimes it's not completely, um, the lines are not that easily drawn. Um,
3: and, and, and I bring it up because that's very cool, that school, because in some schools, like when I got my MFA, like journalism had nothing to do with, you know, the fiction uh, department or poetry department. Mm-hmm. And little after I left, they brought in the non-fiction, creative non-fiction, but I think it leaves out so much. So that's so cool that you could kind of run back to all these different genres. Yeah,
6: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't necessarily like a combined program, but I just chose like, since I'm majoring in this, I'll minor in that and in my own way, kind of That's awesome.
3: But leaning towards the pros. So the pros was summoning you. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And then you kept writing during college also?
6: I did. I wrote my senior, um, I had to write a senior thesis um, my junior and senior year. And that became a novella that, eight years after that became my first book, which was chasing the sun, which came out in 2014. And, um, so there were definitely a lot of roots being set there for Mm. me in, in the undergrad program. And, um, Yeah, so I'm just excited. You know, it's funny. Like that first book was so exciting to me, and um, I'm just happy to be able to do it again. (laughs) Like four years later, it's like, oh, because it's when your first book comes out. The first thing people would ask me is, "So, what are you working on next?" And I was like, "But give me like two minutes, please." (laughs) (laughs) um, These things take time, so I'm just excited. So,
3: comparing the the thesis to what the book finally looked like, what were some of the differences, if you can note any?
6: Yeah, I don't think. Maybe 2,000 Words of the Original Thesis actually made it through. Nice. Oh, that's great. It was rewritten pretty I, I,
3: much entirely. I think that's great for people to hear yeah. because they may think, okay, well, she had the thesis, so she mm-hmm. added four pages, and here's no. the book.
6: Oh, no. And not only that, but I set it aside for several years before I even worked on it again. So I think by that time, I'd become a different person and a different writer who could then write it in the way that hopefully, <laughs> you know, write it in the way it was be- meant to be written. Um because I do, I think that not every story is comes to you at the right time in your life and you have like part of being a writer is knowing if the timing's right too.
3: Wow. So, so then how did your muses take you to, to your new book then?
6: Oh, so um so everyone knows you go home is about a man and a woman who are married on the Day of the Dead. They live in the valley. And um, on their wedding day, the bride's estranged father-in-law, who is also dead, um, he shows up as a spirit. And he, since nobody in his family will talk to him, she's the only one who will talk to him. And so every anniversary, on every Dia de los Muertos, he comes back and visits. And they develop this very special bond. And she's trying to figure out why he keeps crossing over. And at the same time... Um, the couple's nephew, actually, the teenage nephew crosses over from Mexico into Texas. And so these two crossings, like the physical and the spiritual, she's trying to figure out how they're connected. Um, So for me, uh, the story came about in a few ways. It was in the more literal sense, it was because um, I was married on the day of the dead. And so the possibilities of that Kind of sparked the first idea. Uh, second of all, when we were when I was younger, my family moved around quite a bit, and so we lived in McAllen um, for
3: shout out to the valley. Absolutely,
6: <laughs> we lived in McAllen when I was younger, and it was just something that always stayed with me, and I've always wanted to go back and like not just physically, but you know, just kind of keep exploring like the time in my life and everything. Mm. Um, and so I, I feel yeah, like I McAllen did that story. Yeah, McAllen to Miami, a little yeah, different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, and then um, the other thing is that because the book deals so much with this idea of crossings, um, it really is, uh, you know, in addition to being a book about family and love and relationships, it's very much an immigration story and all the different ways that boundaries and borders work within our lives when they're invisible, but also deeply felt. And I wanted to kind of explore that, you know, like, what does it mean once you have You're here, and you're trying to make a life and a home, and you're still pulled Mm. in all these different directions, and maybe even sometimes you feel like you're caught in between. So,
3: Wow. So in a little bit, I'm going to ask you to read an excerpt for us. Okay. And, of course, tomorrow people can experience it in three dimensions, and then, of course, we'll upload the podcast tonight. So we can Great. people can listen to that on social media, share it, and send it to their their deal TO and say, Hey, you gotta go to this reading with me tomorrow. And of course it'll wind up at the University of Houston Digital Archives as well. Oh,
6: cool.
3: And then uh we'll also um if you care to donate a book, we can donate it to the Houston Public Library. So we've got the Nuest Parada Archives hard Wonderful. copies at the Hispanic Collection. Okay, cool. And of course, I I wanna ask you like fifty thousand questions. <laughs> I'm gonna resist because one, folks, gotta experience this live tomorrow. So thank you for being part of our birthday party. Oh, tomorrow. absolutely!
6: Thank you for inviting me. Literary it's an honor. familia,
3: Literary familia. One. Secondly, we're about to hear an expert. Third, man, if I ask, if I had to ask one question, I gotta ask you. I get married on Day of the Dead. I think, uh, but <laughs> but so I'm gonna give you a little secret cue to, to to make sure you. So you have a little excerpt. Do you know? I the, do. Okay. Um, well, how it, long do you want? Um, you tell. Oh, uh, I don't know about a page, two okay. pages. Um. But I got to ask you, so whose idea was that, <laughs> getting married on Day of the Dead?
6: You know, actually, so the way weddings sometimes work is they give you the date that works, then you take it, <laughs> right? Um, because it's just – It's all sure. about coordinating and what's going to be the most cost-efficient way of doing it. And so that's just how it worked out. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, and actually, the couple in my book, too – I mean, you'll see from the first line, but they didn't really – it wasn't something they did intentionally.
3: So it's kind of like when um, when your professor, your math professor says, okay, we're going to figure out the uh, the odds of someone having the same birthday as you, <laughs> and like three people in the, in your classroom by odds have it, and you're like, oh, you don't feel so special. But not that big a deal, because it's just the law of average. So okay. <laughs> you had to pick a day out of 365, it was that one,
6: mm-hmm. and then later yeah. on, you, you
3: discovered the magic.
6: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
3: Still a cool story. <laughs> <laughs> so great. You got an excerpt for us?
6: Yeah. Um... So this is Chapter 1, November, 12, November 2nd, 2012, The Big Day. They were married on the Day of the Dead, El Día de los Muertos, which no one gave much thought to in all the months of planning until the bride's deceased father-in-law showed up in the car following the ceremony. He manifested behind the wheel, then stretched his arm over the back of the passenger seat as he turned to face Martin and Isabel beautiful ceremony mijo he said the couple's smiles froze it seemed to take an eternity for either of them to speak and when they did they had little more than mumbles her whole life isabel had heard stories about spirits who spent this one day of the year with family as a child, she had built altars for her great-grandparents, vibrant tributes made out of open shoeboxes adorned with paper flowers and pictures of religious figures that looked a lot like the dioramas she created in grade school. In her teens, her family congregated around her great-aunt's grave to clean it. One year, her mother even brought a battery-operated vacuum for the stone. Today we remember our dead, her mother always said. We honor them. Martin's father looked more frazzled than dead, as if he was running late because he had been caught in traffic. Isabel looked to her, new fa- to, her, to her new husband for guidance and was shocked to realize he seemed annoyed. Not afraid, because honestly her father-in-law looked harmless, just like in the few pictures she'd seen of him. No, Martin looked like he had simply bitten into a pepper that was hotter than anticipated. "'Did you know this would happen?' she asked. "'No,' but it's typical of him. Typical. Only someone so shameless would show up to a wedding uninvited.
3: I love <laughs> Very cool. A great first line, great first page. Thank you. And if our listeners loved it, you're going to love even more the rest of the book you get to experience. That is uh, Natalia Sylvester reading from Everyone Knows You Go Home and she'll be reading in person tomorrow at our 20th anniversary, which is going to start at 7 to 9 p.m., at 333 South Jensen. It's totally free. We've got a lot of different writers who will read off some of the names as well. Also, from six to seven, we're having a special meeting for the Mexican American studies commit community committee. And if you're interested in making sure that the right figures wind up on the curriculums for different curriculums, uh, show up. And some people texted me like, what do you got to do to be in the committee? You got to, Show up, sign up, and come through. I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, and that'll be from 6 to 7 right before the showcase. But the idea is then if you want to get involved, we'll get your name, get your number, give you kind of the overview of what's going on, and then you can stay and experience some new writers. And I think we have Alvaro on the phone. typically we'd go to musical break, but I think Marlon wants to get us as much programming in as possible. So she, if she gives me the nod, I think we're going to the phone lines and – I hear the electricity of the phone, so I believe it's 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 Alvaro Sarrios, one of the founding members of Nuestra Palabra and the originator of the crazy Mexico and so many other things. What's going on, Alvaro? Ah, uh, none hey man, I am cooking dinner. That's what you that's what you hear me uh oh, really?
1: in, in background. <laughs> it's the background. It's it's the sizzling of uh making some fajitas, you know.
3: Is that is that Chicago code for writing a short story or <laughs> or are you being literal? <laughs> i'm being literal
1: man maybe it's a metaphor you know
3: that's right in different ways hey thanks for calling in so 20 years ago you walked on stage in the party hall of chapultepec restaurant and helped launch this movement you appeared on the front page of the houston chronicle the day after that and the rest is history hermano man jeez yeah, man, it's it's uh it's definitely been a great journey. I mean,
1: I have to say, um, it, it's it it was great, and and I'm so glad that, that just having West Palabra around, to that gave me the the permission to 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 know that my story is uh is as valid as any other stories out there. And and then uh, what I also uh, enjoyed about being involved in it was that, I mean, there are so many different voices. I mean, we weren't just getting you know we we're getting latino voices but you know we were getting uh, from from the various spectrums uh, from those you know in terms of uh, uh um those you know from from females to uh you know for those who identify with the lgbtq uh, spectrum i mean just so many and and uh and and i loved that that we we were just so open to so many different voices that uh that was uh yeah and and definitely and and continue to sp- inspire my work um as a writer and um and I have definitely you to thank for that when you know where where I mean most people don't know the first time I met you was it was supposed to be uh it was a workshop for for I think uh for elderly women <laughs> and uh and 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 I and I don't know how I ended up in that workshop but <laughs> you know this this straight out of the army I was 23 years old and realizing I was like you know uh, there's something different about this this uh, <laughs> But you're the kind one of, who kind of sticks out. We definitely—I mean—across the I border, into it. And, that's awesome. And meeting my meeting my first let, published Latino writer, um, and and yeah, it's just it's been yeah it's
3: been history from there, you know. I think what's so cool too is that I think it's a testament to what Houston has had as a a, a base of talent because. I look back at all the young writers that were then. We had vision, energy, audacity, and there was this huge Latino market that was untapped. You know, yourself, Raso Conteras, Calorimus Ceballos, we have ISIS on. You know, the list goes on, and I, I look back and I'm like, well, no wonder we could do whatever we wanted. You know, we just had all this bursting energy and talent, and none of us were. We're, we're, we we all knew we could do it, and we were, and history was on our side as well too. So that's exciting. So so I brought, exactly you know, um, and 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 the last
1: thing we thought about, I mean, at no point did we think of what happens if this fails. You know, hmm. it was. I mean, there was no, there was that wasn't an option. It was let's just do this. And one thing I was mentioning to someone last uh, yesterday was that it wasn't just the showcases, it was we would all meet together for meetings to plan these things. And as we did, we would, you know, still keep each other updated on what we were writing and working on. And and that in itself definitely fueled that. So being this part of this collective group of writers who, you know, like you, like you mentioned all the, from Carolina to Isis to Russell, you know, from nonfiction writers to poets to uh, fiction writers, all these different uh, styles. And, and I, I felt like we, we all kind of started to, Really started to inspire each other, you know, and take from from each other's work and 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 integrate it into into our own.
3: And, and you're right; created these little think tanks as well. And then all of a sudden, we'd be blessed with because uh, we still focused on national published writers. So then all of a sudden, here comes San Lázaro and thrilling us, or Dagoberto Gilb, or I mentioned earlier um, that um, Jasmine, who'll be on later, met Juno Diaz after one of our book fairs, right before he won the Pulitzer. But And they would love coming, hanging out with all of us because it was this fun group of deliriously uh, positive folks that at the very least we had a blast together and then we get stuff done as well. Um, So that is so cool. Now, I bragged about some of your uh, some of your accomplishments up to now. You've recently moved to Chicago. So tell us, tell us, fill us in a little bit then what's going on out there in the Windy City. So yeah, so
1: now now living in Chicago, I'm a I'm a resident playwright at Chicago Dramatists. Awesome. I was only named a resident playwright there. Congratulations. Um, so and and still teaching at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. So having to make that. Luckily, Milwaukee is only ninety miles away, um, and so uh, still still figuring that out. And what's great about Chicago Dramatists, for those who don't know, it's I mean this is a place that's been around this since the '70s that develops that is specifically focusing on developing works uh, for playwrights um, giving you a home to to develop new plays and and I'm a resident there for six years and so I've got a lot of ideas that I'm gonna that I'm going continue to so, so it feels like this great introduction to, to, to be in Chicago but to also be part of this very prestigious organization um, where I can now uh, start testing out these other play ideas that, that I've that I've thought of and
3: that's and awesome. having
1: those resources, being able to do public readings, and then also them connecting me to, uh, to great, uh, actors and great, uh, directors here in
3: Chicago, so. That's, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So, so
1: that's, that's awesome. part of it, you know. And I feel like, and I was, <laughs> what I'm, what, my goal is that as I get to do that, that hopefully maybe, um, cause I start to do, I've started to get into, like, site specific work where we do plays inside, like, you know, like inside apartments or inside non-traditional performance spaces.
3: That's awesome. Guerrilla. <laughs> and so, gorilla so what I'm
1: hoping is, is we'll, we'll find where you you used to live here in Chicago and maybe we'll take that over and, and turn that into a performance
3: space. That's, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> too cool. Now, I tell you what, let me throw a deep question at you too because now Nuestra Palabra I think has really done cool stuff. Some of it that you would expect from a literary group other stuff like you know we smuggled books in Arizona like you would never have to expect uh that most you know nonprofits would do so i'm just curious what the next 20 years holds and of course i think we can't even do the same thing we used to do one, one thing i mentioned to folks is that when we started Let's see, Houston Press was hard copy. That's gone. Um, Yeah. Joy Davido from LA Weekly had come visit us. That hard copy has gone. You know, uh, El Dia was a Spanish daily in Houston, gone. La Semana, Spanish weekly, gone. We used to work at Borders Bookstore, gone. (laughs) Um, And, of course, Hey Alvaro, what we're saying now is going to wind up on the podcast tomorrow. That we'll tweet and it'll be archived at the yeah. University of Houston. So, so what what do you think's in store for? Uh, what do you see in the tea leaves for the future of Latino <laughs> literature and activists? What do you? What, what's your gut telling you? And tell uh, well, like I, what I feel
1: is, is going to be for, especially for Nuestra Palabra, is is now that you 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 definitely have these these writers who have kind of branched off, but then also um, those who, uh, who are, you know, or those who are becoming uh, involved with, with the organization now is that I, part of me feels like, especially now you've got these podcasts, that there is this national reach. I mean, that, that we can, maybe even that Nuestra Palabra in Houston will be the, the kind of think tank, but also the, the kind of, where it can be a resource for others who want to start Nuestra palabras around the country. Um, in, in their own communities, Um and, and kind of, and, and I think, you know, it's, it, it, it definitely North Pollard has already shown that it's, it started to have this kind of national reach by, you know, building connections, you know, these, taking, smuggling these books in, into Arizona, and, and definitely being a part of letting everyone know, you know, we, you know, we, even though we're based, you know, in, in Houston, that, um you know, we, we know your story, and, 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 and we're there with you. And so I, I think I, I think it, it's it's connecting with other organizations um around the country and, and maybe even building, you know, something and maybe they're not, not in the sense of Nuez Palabra as as we've known it, or, or maybe so, but kind of building these these uh these, these smaller uh mm. maybe even but still things that really connected to the community. And and not even just the Latino community. I mean various communities. I mean I think that's the great thing about Nuez Palabra is that even though it is Nuez Palabra we've always had this appeal to this very diverse, uh, community Mm -hmm. and, and there's something about it that, that I think that, um, I mean, I I definitely feel like I'm an ambassador for it. Exactly. I want to, want to be able to, uh, if there's an opportunity to be able to start one here in Chicago, you know, like I said, I mean, we'll, we'll take
3: over your house and uh, <laughs> your, your, your old house.
1: and I, I left some secret and, portals and in there, shrine so,
3: and, <laughs> secret entrances. That's a great yeah. idea. That's a great point in that the idea then is we could use especially all the resources of Houston to create this new era infrastructure. It doesn't have to be a building, of course, but it yeah, could right. be the spoke. And you're right. We've got crew all over, but also yeah, tap do. into what they're doing. And then use all the different vehicles that exist to take it to the next level. Love it, love exactly.
1: it. Exactly, exactly. And and I think that's the great thing also about you know the the podcast. I think I think that's a smart thing in terms of uh, how podcasts are definitely being used and and allowing us to kind of um, build a, 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 a longer reach. I mean, who knows in terms of you know uh, you know I mean. It, it has the potential to go beyond the the, the wall, the wall
3: that's going to be <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And you heard it here first. Nuestra Palabra Chicago is on the way. <laughs> hey, brother, thank you so much for calling in. And everything you've done, it's great to call you Familia. It's great for all your success. And I'm really excited about the next 20 years, brother. Well,
1: thank you very much. Thank you for this opportunity. It was great speaking with you, Tony.
3: Un abrazo grande. Saludos a toda la familia. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino Warriors, Having their Say on its 20th birthday radio broadcast. Tomorrow we're doing this all live. There'll probably be a piñata with maybe Paul Neruda books inside of it. I don't know. No promises. <laughs> and then I can also promise you amazing literature tomorrow night. It's going to be at 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., it's free. And it's at Talento building with Houston, 333 South Jensen, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. We're going to have a planning meeting to support Mexican-American studies if you want to get involved with that. The hard work, a little bit of hard work. And then the party begins at 7. And that's Alversarios, who was here 20 years ago. And in the studio now, so we've cut out all the music. (laughs) So no musical breaks. Our dear friend... Jasmine Mendez. Como estas, Jasmine? No,
5: I'm good. I'm doing very well. How thank are you? Thank
3: you so all? much for coming in, and thank you yeah. for coming to uh, You came to Lone Star College.
5: Yes, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now.
3: Now, and I hope that You must have understood you changed some lives that day.
5: Did I mean, I, I would like to think so. I'd hope so, in some kind of way, in some small way. <laughs> and
3: I still have students Yeah? who are coming up to me and saying that that was their first reading.
5: Really? They had no Aww. idea what to
3: expect.
5: You can't tell these things to a pregnant woman I'm like gonna cry for like five hours now
3: I'm just, and I'm telling you like their writing has improved after oh, that beautiful. they're more engaged wow. and they're pushing their story so that's awesome and, and
7: that's
3: I think awesome. we are blessed to, to experience all that so yeah. thank you for coming yeah, to Los for that thanks for being part of the crew and familia we're looking forward to hearing you throw down tomorrow and we're celebrating your baby and your book what do you want to talk about first like the
5: book is a baby in a way yeah I know my book will be released April 30th. I was telling my mom earlier, I was like, en dos semanas. And I was like, no, seven days. (laughs) It's coming uh, much faster than this baby. So um, there's that. By by the way, just so you know,
3: you have to say something five times on radio. So so this is the first time Uh. you say the title of the book.
5: Okay. Night Blooming Jasmine, Personal uh, Essays and Poetry. Yes, is the title of the book by Arte Público Press. It'll be out April 30th. Book launch on May 5th at the Houston Arts Alliance Gallery. Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo, but we're being very anti- uh, that <laughs> by celebrating a Dominican, I guess.
3: Well, <laughs> well, Natalia <laughs> pointed out she got married on day of the day because that what's worked out for the Yeah, that's wedding exactly wedding. what worked so what out. I, for the- you
5: know, I had to do it early before this baby came, and just right after the release, so I was like, think of the Mayos we're doing. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, again, Night Blooming Jasmine, personal essays and poetry by publica Press drops in seven days. Me. I'm super excited and nervous and all of that. So, and I've been with nuestra palabra since before I ever thought about getting published. You guys have taken making me in and allowed me to hang out with some pretty awesome writers. So,
3: so when, when, when was the first time you were exposed to a Latino or Latina writer? So
5: the first time was probably my sophomore year. I was having to do um, volunteer hours for both high school and confirmation classes. And so naturally I was like, I'm going to volunteer at the library. I'm like, that's a good gig for me. Like I get to be around books all day. <laughs> and so I was like perusing the poetry section and I saw this this uh, hardback book, um, you know, with, like the plastic. Sticky stuff that you see at the, on the <laughs> library books, like back in the old day. Um, and it was the New Yorican Poets Cafe. Book. What, what, what? Yeah. And so I pulled it. I said, New Yorican? ¿Qué es eso? And so I pulled it out. And it had word poetry and had Miguel Piñero's like picture and kind of like the crew. Dang. And they were sitting on this stoop. And I started flipping through it. And it was like the first time that I had read anything even remotely similar to like my Latinx experience of being Dominicana. Um, And so I kind of dabbled in that a little bit, but it wasn't until my junior year then in AP English where my teacher um, asked us to choose memoirs. Um, for our summer reading and one of the options was esmeralda santiago's when i was puerto rican and so that was like the first full book of like oh yeah but he was coming after you. yeah <laughs> they are like, i mean they weren't running dominicans at the time yet you know and so are that i knew of and so i was like all right puerto rico is as close as it's gonna get for me <laughs> so i'm gonna do this you know and having read that memoir i was just like oh, my story is like actually out there you know um because before that I had started, I'd begun identifying in like sixth grade with like Maya Angelou and Langston Hughes. Those were the first poets of color that I was introduced to. Um, And I actually saw Maya Angelou when I was about 12 years old Wow! at Austin Peay State University. My dad took me and my brother and my sister. Yeah, it was a pretty awesome experience. I can't remember what she read because I was like 12, but I just remember like seeing her. And like, I mean, it was like an auditorium full of people. And I think it was shortly right after she had been named Poet Laureate or she had read... She had, like, opened for the inaugural address or something, you know, so it was, like, amazing. Um, But, yeah, it wasn't until high school that I had any kind of notion that, like, Latinos wrote literature or had books or could be published. I was always like, I can't be a writer because I'm not a dead white guy. So, (laughs) oh well. Like, you know, and I scribbled in my journal. But again, the idea of publishing was never on my radar at that point. It actually wasn't until probably like the Latino Book and Family Festival when I started like hanging out with Lupe and dating him and he started bringing me around to everything. And I was like, oh, like we can actually get published? That's a thing? That's (laughs) so cool though. So, yeah.
3: Well, it's interesting too because, you know, the New Yorkians, of course, I had blessing to meet Miguel Arlene. Also published by Atapugo Press. Dun, dun, dun. I, I know. That's a cool
5: thing. I'm just like, I, I look back at their like archives and I'm like, you know, um, Miguel Piñero was published that's by them. That's
3: right. Judith
5: Ortiz sure F- right. was published by them. So I'm like, I'm in good company. I feel good. <laughs> well, and,
3: and what is pretty cool too, I, I think it is this renaissance because then, of course. You know, you've got the New Yorkans, and then you got mm-hmm. Esmeralda Santiago, and then you've, of course, they're kind of like the New York Nuestra Palabra in a way, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then of course, Esmeralda Santiago is one of the first nationally published true. writers that we held. Yeah. So I only bring it up because I think it is cool that we're in this era where we can meet mm-hmm. these, Folks that inspire us become their friends yeah, and then, and yeah. get involved and in. now you're you're part of it. It's like
5: dang. I know I still feel like I'm way low on the totem pole but it's great that I could just hang out with with all of them. You know like just last night and yesterday like Luke and I were hanging out with Ricardo Gonzalez and I was like this is
3: amazing. It's so cool. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Exactly. So It is a renaissance. Yeah, for sure. You've been saying that for like the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> it takes time, right? The it renaissance takes time. Takes time. <laughs> it's, <laughs> time. So.
3: it's a whole era. <laughs> yeah. It's a so so, uh well, although I will say this, I think we're blessed that things are happening for us faster than they happened before. Oh, yeah, Um for sure. But now, of course... Folks are going to come tomorrow mm-hmm. to experience you in seven dimensions. <laughs> but I, th- I see you brought up some poems but for us. But
5: I don't know, I mean, you know for a long time. They can just wait for tomorrow. No, por favor. So, oh.
2: <laughs> por favor. Right,
5: sure, yeah. I've got a little something here from my book. Um, and this was recently published in Gulf Coast, and it's kind of making the rounds. So uh, it's, it's one of the ones I like to read. I, I would say fun, but it's not a fun poem. Uh, I mean, it's – all right, here we go. Uh, Dar a luz like la llorona i weep i i i i am infertile a womb of skin and blood and bone stitched to wind and words and dust i'm pregnant la comadre announces to me and the kitchen walls on the fourth of july i feel light leave my body i wipe my sticky watermelon hands on an apron and reach out to hug the ice chest I lift its dead weight across the room, near the only plant I've ever kept alive. I check its soil for moisture. My fingers curl into being beneath the dirt. Congratulations, I say. My necrotic tongue sticks to my teeth. La Comadre listens for a pulse in my breathing. I muffle heartache on the inhale. Coke cans cackle, melted ice caps clap. I'm startled by a firework next door. I just wanted you to be the first to know. Snakes around like amniotic fluid. I hide the evidence of envy in my tear ducts. I offer us a childproof smile. La comadre agrees. I linger in the space between. I'm glad you're okay and are you all right? Sunlight in a stained glass window.
3: That is beautiful. I've heard that a couple of times. (laughs) But but what I love too is that each time it kind of Picks up another nuance another, for yeah, me. Yeah, sure, sure. Good. And congratulations, <laughs> Edison Gulf Coast. That's fantastic.
5: Yeah, yeah. It's, I was really excited when it got picked up, so.
3: That's fantastic. And yeah. I tell you what, right now we're also bringing on the air our dear friend Isis. Isis, can you what hear up? me?
5: Hey. Hey. Como
0: estas? Aquí nomás, aquí nomás. Happy,
3: <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Man, how time flies. And
0: yeah,
3: it has. I'm so glad we can reach out to you through the magic of telephony. <laughs> but when was, I remember you in a, in a, in a cool dress. <laughs> oh my God. Reading on stage. And uh, I, I remember uh, Alice Mela Conestrero Garcia directing, doing stage directing at the time. By the way, her and Carlos Calbillo shot some of the video. Mm-hmm. That would become the Nuestra Palabra TV show that aired on Houston Media Access. Wow. Uh, I just donated tons of VHS and beta, <laughs> right? To beta? The beta to the University of Houston's Digital Archives because I couldn't keep it in the garage anymore. And wow. I'm like, okay, history, I'll give it to you. So I, I had a flashback. When was that first reading you did it with Nuestra Palabra?
0: Oh my gosh! I was nineteen.
3: Shut up.
0: Uh, no, I was a young
3: wow. Um,
0: I don't know who uh, early. Nineteen <laughs> ninety-seven? No, no, 99? 99, I think. Wow. Oh
3: my gosh. Um, that is awesome. That,
0: yes. Um. Yeah. I just I r- barely remember because I just remember. I remember putting the dress on. I remember fi- trying to find the dress um, and finding it in one of our beautiful local establishments in, pa- in Pasadena. <laughs> one wow, Pasadena. Thank you so much. Ooh. Ooh, ooh. Right. Um, and then um, it didn't close at, at oh Oh, my gosh. So it was too small. So it didn't close <laughs> in the back. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had – it was um, –
5: Right. Oh good <laughs> nice, nice. times, fun times. <laughs>
3: that is so awesome. Now you've been nationally published, you've been in the Guardian, you've been in Huffington Post, you've done multimedia, you're a professor now. I'm so glad we took you we stole you back and now you're back back in Houston. Oh. Yes,
0: yeah, I wanted to be stolen back.
3: <laughs> and, and and fill us in now. I I do I do know too. I mean, uh, I want people to know that the struggle is real. So of course, also during Harvey, you had to get evacuated.
0: So yeah, that was um a memory. Um, <laughs> was, yeah, I mean, like you see it on TV, and you you know you see the National Guard in in the whole nine, but until. Until the that you are in the truck, in the hum, mm. in the big truck with the cover. Um, you are like, "Oh, this is so surreal." It's just, it was so real. I was so so surreal. I'm sure others in the city felt the same way when they saw like their neighborhoods underwater. It was just. Mm. just and I grew up in the neighborhood I live in, so it's just like you know, that's where I had my biscuits. Now it's underwater. Um, that's wow. Where, you know. That's why I took karate. It is now underwater. Wow. <laughs> it's just like it's weird. It was weird, and um, um, we're coming back on the east side. We're um, we're coming back, um, but it's kind of it's still kind of odd. We still kind of still flinch when it rains. Um, so you know, it's a thing. Well, no, <laughs> and,
3: and I bring it up too because I think people may may just see maybe the works and not realize all the struggles behind mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and they're very real, but. I think also the fact that we're writers helps us get through it. And on that note, too, I guess we've got about uh, three minutes left. One thing I was talking to Alvaro about is what will Musta Palabra become and picking people's brains because technology is not going to let us be like we were 20 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. se acabó, se acabó. Mm-hmm. But we, we're blessed to be with all these uh, Yo Soy Brujo you know, and all these other visionaries. Uh, see what do you see? So um, I don't know, uh, Jasmine, Isis, whoever wants to jump in. We got about a minute each. <laughs> what what should we be planning for in the future?
5: Worldwide well, takeover.
3: <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's just more community building. And in what ways can we bring in, like Avro was saying, other cities, other writers from other places and build sort of this really strong network of just comunidad and like how we connect and interact with each other. I mean, can Nuestra Palabra do an event with Canto Mundistas, right? Like and bring in more of like a national dialogue. I love
3: it, which we haven't thing, been doing you know? intentionally. Yeah. We've done it, but let's do it intentionally. Let's do it intentionally
5: or with Macondo. Like can Nuestra Palabra in some way support Macondo writers, right?
3: Love it. And I built their website this year. So So come on,
5: Donnie. You need to like tack the logo on there. (laughs) Like subversively. Isis,
3: ISIS. you got the last word till tomorrow, of course. What do you see? What do you see? What should she do in the future?
0: Uh, I think MP will be, uh, will continue to be part of the DNA of Mm. the tapestry of Latino and people of color's
3: art. I see. I see. Un abrazo grande. I can't wait to see everyone tomorrow, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Talenta Belém with Houston. It's going to be free. Un abrazo grande. And here's to the next 20 years. Look out, world. We're just getting started. See you tomorrow. Woo-hoo-hoo!
0: of KPFT's two live channels on your phone. Install the TuneIn app, available for both Apple and Android, and then search for KPFT. You'll see both the FM channel and the newly improved HD3 channel. Press play and you're listening, or point your browser to kpft.org. Listening online means no more reception issues. Tune in our mix of local social justice shows and music selected with love by our Houston DJs, all there on your phone at any time.
6: Forested land around our bayous act as the kidneys of the water system. They clean out pollutants and help manage flooding in times of high rainfall. Preventing more Houston land from being covered in concrete ensures that more of the precious little water that falls has the ability to soak into the ground and our aquifers. Living with water shortages or damaging floods brings to light how connected we all are to the natural world around us. Our health suffers without clean water and fresh air. Families suffer without safe places to spend time together outdoors. Bayou Land Conservancy, a local nonprofit organization celebrating its 20th anniversary, works to permanently protect land in the greater Houston area with a special focus on the 13 watersheds that feed Lake Houston. Please visit our website at www.